episode zero of The New Blocks, an educational series about blockchains, cryptocurrencies, and the building blocks of a new system. Over the course of this series, we'll break down one new concept per episode with the hopes of providing a much needed educational on-ramp into the world of crypto and Web3. Typically, I would be joined by my co-host, Zayori, where we nerd out, chill, and talk tech. However, for episode zero, I wanted to introduce myself and give you an idea of some of the topics that we'll be covering over this series. We try to keep most episodes audio listener friendly, but I encourage you to check this one out on YouTube for the visuals. My name is Kevin Weaver. I like to write software, play video games, draw pixel art, and learn about technology. Ever since I was a kid, I've always loved video games. Growing up, I was raised on games like Super Mario Brothers. The series has given me a frame of reference and a deep appreciation for how quickly technology progresses, evolves, and improves. That appreciation for technological change has grown into a true fascination, and it drives a lot of my personal interests today. Witnessing the speed of exponential change gives me a source of optimism and hope in a world that otherwise seems to be on the brink of collapse. To be transparent, I own cryptocurrencies. I personally find hands-on learning to be the most effective for me, and I believe in the long-term potential of the broader crypto space. That being said, I have no idea which projects will succeed and which will fail. Please do not treat any of this series as investment advice. I like to teach people about technology because I believe that educating others is a foundational component to the process of my own learning. If I can't explain something, it's because I don't fully understand it myself. The only investment I hope to encourage through the new blocks is the investment of curiosity, education, and time. Crypto is an incredibly dense rabbit hole that will lead you on a tour through mathematics, economics, computer science, social science, game theory, and more. If you choose to fall down this rabbit hole, be kind to yourself along the way. New technology is complicated. Much like the early days of the internet, the broader vision of crypto and blockchains will not make sense from a 30-minute episode or 30 episodes. With that, let's begin at the brink of the 2008 financial crisis. The story is likely familiar to you. Whether you understand the details of how it occurred, felt the effects personally, or are simply accustomed to a financial system built to prioritize the interests of the few, the housing crisis sent a shockwave through the U.S. financial system and the global economy. The perfect storm of regulatory negligence, misaligned incentives, and outright greed. After the dot-com bubble in 2000, low federal interest rates incentivized banks to sign customers up in mass for variable interest rate mortgages. Intermittent and low income were no problem, and a mere signature and pulse were often all that was necessary to sign customers up for mortgages with interest rates that would quickly balloon. These subprime or high-risk mortgages were then wrapped into securities, given AAA safety ratings, and purchased by banks with little regard to the potential risks these mortgages would expose to the funds of their customers. Banks began to over-leverage these assets to the point that any downward deviation in the price of housing would be catastrophic to the banks and the entire economy. Interest rates began to climb, homeowners began to foreclose, housing supply grew above demand, and prices collapsed. The lower and middle classes were swiftly buried under inflating interest rate payments for homes that had lost their value abruptly. The collapse crippled the global economy and kicked off the Great Recession. An estimated 10 million homeowners lost their homes to foreclosure sales in the U.S. between 2006 and 2014, these homes now awarded to the banks that enabled the crisis. Despite collapsing the global economy, however, banking executives would receive no blame. Instead, the same executives that played a part in creating this perfect storm would receive massive stimulus directly from the government. 
The banks were simply too big to fail. Once bailed out, financial institutions awarded their top executives nearly $20 billion in personal bonuses as the economy slipped underwater. The problem became abruptly clear. We live in a financial system that privatizes gains and socializes losses. An elite few are capable of risking the funds of the many, and instead of being punished, they are rewarded. Incentives are misaligned. Decisions that impact millions are made behind closed doors, the risks opaque to all. Those closest to the new money spigot always manage to siphon off billions for themselves, and those most in need often end up with nothing. However, the solution is far from obvious. The Occupy Wall Street movement kicked off as people had had enough. They saw the corruption that was occurring in the open and knew it needed to be stopped. But how? The movement slowly fizzled out as it was unclear how to enact real change from the bottom up. As all this was occurring, in 2009, an anonymous software engineer under the pseudonym Satoshi Nakamoto released a white paper, a technical document for a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system known as Bitcoin. The document outlines the design of a new network of computers. Unlike most networks, this design would consist of all clients, no servers. Instead of relying on centralized server nodes to establish a source of truth for a network state, the white paper introduced the concept of a new database protocol known as a blockchain. This new type of open, decentralized database would allow all peers on the network to read from and write to the ledger directly. At the heart of the blockchain lived a consensus mechanism, a series of steps that, once taken, would generate consensus among the network peers. This mechanism allowed the network to keep track of who owned how much Bitcoin. A source of truth to determine network state would emerge from the network directly without the need for a centralized intermediary or trusted third party. This consensus mechanism would combine cryptography, mathematics, and economic incentives to create a series of interconnected blocks. Each new block would introduce new data into the network in the form of new Bitcoin transactions. To send Bitcoin from one wallet address to another, a transaction is proposed to the network by anyone. Because the full history of the network is visible to all nodes, it is trivial for the Bitcoin network to ensure the validity of transactions being proposed to it. Bitcoin can only be spent once and only when the sender actually owns the necessary funds. But how could we trust that individual nodes on the network won't attempt to cheat these rules? Hundreds of thousands of network nodes known as miners would burn massive amounts of electricity in a ritualistic dance to establish trust on the network. These miners would run what Satoshi called a proof of work consensus algorithm. This spent electricity would serve as proof that the miner had put in work to secure the network, proof that real world value had been irreversibly burned value that the miner would wager to prove that they had something to lose if they attempted to cheat the network. The blockchain proof of work consensus mechanism aligns incentives between the individual nodes and the entire network itself. Miners working against the interest of the network would require more hashing power and electrical consumption than the majority of the entire network. More likely, they'd be wastefully burning electricity and be left with empty hands and empty wallets. It was too expensive to try and fight the network and much more lucrative to help its trust foundation grow. The beauty of this consensus mechanism was subtle, however. The more nodes that ran the network, the more computers would check the validity of the data on the network. The more computers validating the network, the more trust would be collateralized in the form of electricity. 
The more electricity burned, the higher the barrier to attack the network and break that trust. A blockchain has the property such that the more decentralized it becomes, the harder it is to tamper with and the more its contents can be trusted. The blockchain became the world's first trust machine, a consensus mechanism whose primary purpose was to convert decentralization into trust. The blockchain had created trust as an internet protocol. The first trust machine laid the foundation for the first purely digital yet scarce resource, Bitcoin. Open, public, borderless, neutral, censorship-resistant money had been born onto the internet. Money that was not under the control of a government and couldn't be seized or censored by a middleman. Bitcoin had created value as an internet native content type. Sending value anywhere in the world was now indistinguishable from sending an HTTP request. No banks, no third parties, no gatekeepers, no way to be stopped. It was the first ever separation between money and state. On January 3rd, 2009, the Bitcoin network commenced operation with an immutable, unchangeable rule set. There will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin. This value cannot be changed by anyone, not even Satoshi. New Bitcoin would be issued to miners over the next 100 years in a disinflationary curve, having new supply every four years with the intention to roughly simulate the properties of gold. Included, included in the data field of the first ever block was a, head, a headline from a newspaper in the UK. Chancellor on brink of second bailout for banks. Satoshi Nakamoto, whoever he, she, or they were, offered a nod toward a legacy financial system in distress. Over the years, the blockchain proved itself extremely capable as a trust foundation. Slow macro trends can be difficult to notice, especially, especially if you aren't paying close attention to them. Despite my fascination with the technology, I don't like to dwell much on the price of crypto. Discussing money is uncomfortable and everyone is capable of checking it themselves. However, I do believe that the context surrounding price and adoption may be a relative indicator of how much monetary value and trust humanity chooses to instill in the first ever trust machine. For this, I believe frames of reference are a helpful tool. By October 2021, the Bitcoin blockchain would grow to secure almost a trillion dollars in value. From nothing, its market cap would soon dwarf over 100 fiat or government-issued currencies, ranking as the 14th largest today. Currencies aside, Bitcoin is now the ninth largest asset by market cap, including public companies, precious metals, and ETFs. As the price trends toward a logarithmic growth curve, such a long-term and meteoric rise is challenging to comprehend and display without log-scale charts and an exponentially growing y-axis. The price of Bitcoin tends to move in four-year boom and bust market cycles. While we are in the midst of another price rally, remember it can just as quickly crash again for another three plus years or longer. Past performance does not mean future performance though. Be skeptical of anyone that tells you they know what Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency will do moving forward. Despite a constant flow of media outlets disparaging its volatility and pronouncing it dead over 400 times, Bitcoin would go on to become the best performing asset of the decade. The green lines in the middle graph, just above 0% return on investment, represent bonds, gold, and the S&P 500. Bitcoin, on the other hand, experienced a roughly 9 million percent return on investment over the last 10 years. Social media companies like TikTok and Twitter, fintech companies like Square, Venmo, and Robinhood, and PayPal, 
payment networks like Visa and MasterCard, even commercial banks would begin to adopt and offer crypto to the masses. Cities and countries would begin accepting it for tax payments, paying government salaries in it, and competing on crypto friendliness. Over the years, other countries like India would attempt to ban it. China would attempt to ban it multiple times in multiple ways, yet would remain one of the most heavily concentrated users and miners of cryptocurrencies. As a global industry, it appears that governments can try to remove their people from crypto, but they can't seem to remove crypto from their country. Publicly traded companies like Tesla and Square would begin to buy Bitcoin to secure their portion of the 21 million total supply. The world's largest asset manager, BlackRock, would put it on their balance sheet as an attempt to hedge against the inflation of the US dollar. Despite Bitcoin being only 12 years old, 75% of all US dollars were printed after Bitcoin was created. This fact alone would begin to push people to ask more basic questions about the value of fiat currencies and their infinite supply cap. Most of us living in the United States have put very little thought into the potential threat of hyperinflation. Having the most robust financial system on earth, there really isn't much reason to consider it. It's important to remember that we are an anomaly on the world stage. On the left is a list of 28 countries, including China, Russia, Greece, France, Peru, Germany, Zimbabwe, and Venezuela that have experienced hyperinflation in the last 25 years. During a hyperinflationary event, the average time for prices of goods to double even just once in these countries is about 20 days. The blockchain is considered by many to be one of the most profound and disruptive technologies to emerge since the inception of the internet. As the 38th director of the US Mint stated, Bitcoin and the ideas behind it will be a disruptor to the traditional notions of currency. In the end, currency will be better for it. We have elected to put our money and faith in a mathematical framework that is free of politics and human error. Blockchain technology isn't just a more efficient way to settle securities, it will fundamentally change market structures and maybe even the architecture of the internet itself. But our story doesn't end here. Bitcoin doesn't solve all the problems that were exposed during the 08 financial crisis, and the problems it creates are even more dangerous. It's not easy to calculate the electrical consumption required to power older fiat financial systems. Fiat currencies are valued by the trust in the economic capacity of the underlying nation state. That trust comes in the form of both bank servers and ballistic missiles. But Bitcoin is nothing if not transparent. To secure the network, Bitcoin burns more electricity than many countries, including the Philippines. If Bitcoin were a country, only 33 others would use more electricity. We don't just need more transparent money. We need a more transparent financial system for a global society and an internet age. More importantly, we need one that doesn't light the planet on fire in the process. Bitcoin was only the first act of our story, though. The prototype was out of the way, and engineers were only just beginning to understand and harness the true potential of the trust machine. As with most technology, innovation quickly took its course. In 2013, only a few short years after the launch of the Bitcoin blockchain, a 21-year-old software engineer named Vitalik Buterin released a white paper for what he described as a next-generation smart contract and decentralized application platform. The new blockchain would be called Ethereum. In computer science terms, Ethereum is what's known as a Turing-complete virtual machine. This means that Ethereum is an internet-based computer, a synchronized, symbolic computer that runs on thousands of physical computers. As a shared world computer, the Ethereum virtual machine, or EVM, allows anyone in the world to read from and write to its data. 
a general purpose, credibly neutral trust machine that could be used as the foundation for building a new breed of decentralized applications and money protocols. If Bitcoin was the first money for the internet, Ethereum is the first financial operating system. Bitcoin was the calculator, Ethereum is the computer. At the launch of Ethereum, it utilized a similar consensus mechanism as Bitcoin. Miners incentivized to burn electricity run the network and are rewarded with the network's native asset known as Ether or ETH. Unlike Bitcoin, which is both the name of the network and the currency, Ethereum, the network, was the foundation for a differently named asset, Ether. To request the Ethereum virtual machine to perform some function, users pay miners in Ether for the work of running the computations on their machines. To ensure that more complex and resource-intensive actions could be priced appropriately for miners, all basic computer computations and mathematics are assigned a value in units called gas. Unlike Bitcoin, Ether isn't just a new money. Ether in the form of gas is the fuel that powers the Ethereum virtual machine. Applications built for Ethereum consist of what are called smart contracts. Code written in a flavor of JavaScript used to store, access, and manipulate data on the EVM. This data can exist in the forms of what you'd expect, booleans, integers, strings, arrays, hashes, but Ethereum offers an important distinction from a typical computer. Being built on top of a blockchain gives Ethereum applications the ability to produce the same digital asset scarcity as Bitcoin, this time with a much more expressive, flexible programming language under the hood. Suddenly, anyone in the world with access to a computer and the internet had the ability to create new digital assets and currencies with only a few lines of code. With the help of new standards like ERC-20, the complexity involved in programming the flow of money collapsed from an endless chain of clearinghouses, payment providers, banks, and middlemen taking their cuts to a single JavaScript transfer function. With the ability to mint new cryptocurrency in minutes, acceleration of crypto projects hit an inflection point. This new superpower was used to create hundreds of new cryptocurrencies and tokens in 2017. Projects claiming to solve all sorts of problems with the blockchain would launch their own cryptocurrency as a fundraising mechanism through a process known as an ICO or initial coin offering. These projects were often nothing more than a WordPress, a white paper, and a whimsical dream of decentralizing X, Y, or Z. In just over a year, these half-baked projects would soak up billions in investor funds. Most wouldn't make it off the ground. Many were outright scams. This euphoria led to a massive spike and subsequent crash in the price of Ether and the entire crypto market. Ethereum left the limelight and investors left the space feeling burned and in the red. But this wasn't the end for Ethereum. Far from it, in fact. The bear market would give serious engineering teams the necessary time to breathe and build. With the ICO mania out of the way, builders would spend the next three years building and creating an entirely new financial ecosystem that would come to be known as DeFi. DeFi stands for decentralized finance. With the new powers granted by Ethereum, developers were able to emulate all the remaining core components of the traditional financial system, or CFI, standing for centralized finance. Money, central commercial and investment banking, exchange, brokerage, insurance, payments, and asset management. All of this can now be done today in DeFi without a traditional bank or intermediary. Witnessing the inception of DeFi has been one of the most fascinating experiences of my life. To even scratch the surface of everything that was being built required just about every single night, weekend, and day for the last three to four years. 
Like the internet itself, it's past the point for any one person to keep up with it, however. Regardless, I'll attempt to highlight some important milestones and breakthroughs that occurred in DeFi during this time. The first major breakthrough on Ethereum was the concept of a decentralized autonomous organization or DAO. DAOs are an internet native alternative to the hierarchical centralized corporation. With the ability to create and program the flow of money, all of the necessary groundwork had been laid to create a new model for organizations. Today, hundreds of DAOs exist with every shape, size, and purpose. Simple investment DAOs were the beginning. With a few lines of code, decentralized groups of strangers on the internet would begin to pool capital and use democratized token-based voting mechanisms to direct funds into projects that seemed promising. After investment DAOs came more interesting instances of this new structure. One of the first was MakerDAO. Maker is a decentralized autonomous organization of developers and builders that create the first ever decentralized stablecoin called DAI. Stablecoins are cryptocurrencies that peg their value to a fiat currency. One DAI equals $1. With the birth of DAI, anyone on earth with access to the internet gained the ability to permissionlessly own and hold US dollar. Today, there are stablecoins pegged to many of the top fiat currencies. Among the obvious utility of financial stability, stablecoins act as a bridge from CFI into DeFi for people coming from all backgrounds and financial systems around the world. Eventually, other DAOs would create other synthetic derivatives. Like stablecoins, they would peg their value to real-world or off-chain assets. Price exposure to commodities like gold, oil, and silver, as well as equities like stocks and index funds, were suddenly globally accessible to anyone in the world. But with this new breed of stocks, there isn't a middleman, no one to halt trading or delete the buy button, no one to change the rules mid-game when the wrong people start winning. If you like the stock, you can buy the stock. In addition to traditional financial assets, a new breed of tokens known as non-fungible tokens, or NFTs, were born. Digital pets, profile pictures, video game items, playing cards, decentralized website domain names, and collectibles, and many more instances of this concept join the digital asset scarcity revolution. All global assets that didn't fit the mold of traditional currencies now had a way to accrue value and live on the internet. NFTs have suddenly given artists the ability to release limited digital print runs where rules around ownership of the art are programmed directly to the, to the tokenized artwork. Instead of walled gardens hoarding our digital goods and assets, ownership is retained by its users and its communities, aligning incentives with the builders. This allows NFTs to become the foundation for value accrual in a new global digital community. Next came Gitcoin, a community-run open source funding platform that would allow developers to monetize their skills while working on open source DeFi projects. Gitcoin uses, utilizes a concept called quadratic funding to separate and spread out funding disproportionately for projects with more individual donors. In the GIF on the right, green nodes are grants and red nodes are donors on the Ethereum network. Today, a handful of top money protocols automatically divert a small portion of their fees toward Gitcoin with the hopes of identifying and funding more grassroots projects and cultivating a lush self-funding open source ecosystem of new money protocols. The next major breakthrough came with the concept of an automated market maker. In traditional finance, a market maker is a, is a centralized company that stands between buyers and sellers to create markets. 
In crypto, an automated market maker removes the company from this equation, allowing both halves of the market to trade in a peer-to-peer -peer fashion. One of the first automated market maker DAOs is a, is a protocol called Uniswap. If you think of a traditional financial exchange like Robinhood or Coinbase, its purpose is to bring together buyers and sellers of a stock or cryptocurrency. To do this without relying on a traditional order book, Uniswap created what is known as a liquidity pool. Liquidity pools allow traders to swap between currencies like Ether and DAI without pairing specific buyers to specific sellers. Instead of trading fees being captured by a central third party, they are paid back out to the entire network, to liquidity providers, to general DeFi users that provide funds to facilitate this exchange and earn interest in return. DeFi users now have the ability to permissionlessly swap between any digital asset as well as earn interest in the process. Next came Flash Loans, a new DeFi native financial primitive. Borrow millions of dollars in funds with no collateral as long as you return it in the same transaction. Flash Loans are a useful tool for protocol engineers to combine multiple complex financial maneuvers into a single transaction. They have also been the source of massive protocol hacks that have lost tens of thousands of or even millions of dollars in user funds. Each week, fascinating new money protocols launched, further improving and reinventing the last. Protocol DAOs like Compound and Aave introduced decentralized lending and borrowing. Curve and Balancer created new adjustable and specialized liquidity pools. Wireon and Token Sets created tools for automated portfolio management. By the summer of 2020, DeFi had reached a critical mass. There were suddenly dozens of new money protocols and financial tools to use and begin providing liquidity and earning interest in DeFi. DeFi had finally given more speculative investors a reason to come back to Ethereum. Yield farming is the term used to describe seeking out high interests in, through lending, borrowing, staking, and providing liquidity in DeFi. Over the last year, yield farming has earned investors anywhere from 2 to 10 to even 20% annualized interest on US dollar stablecoins alone. More speculative and risky assets can earn up to hundreds or even thousands of percent interests today. For context, during this time, my traditional CFI bank dropped my interest rate down to 0.01% and eventually went out of business. Yield farming can be very risky, however. Network congestion has increased gas fees to make it cost prohibitive to lower income and capital users. Like all of crypto, it is not something I would recommend without an in-depth understanding of the risks involved. Eventually, though, I believe that the term yield farming will likely be phased out for the more traditional title, a DeFi checking account. With each of these new decentralized organizations and money protocols came the demand for decentralized governance. Instead of a single teams of engineers making all of the important decisions, protocols would issue governance tokens to the people whose interest most aligns with the protocol's success of it, the users. This came to be known as an airdrop, rewarding DeFi users simply for utilizing and being opinionated about these new financial tools. For instance, Uniswap's retroactive airdrop awarded 1,500 in Uni tokens to thousands of users to anyone that had used the exchange even once before a certain date. DeFi is the only field I am aware of that will literally pay you to learn about it. The concept of rewarding users of a service directly and handing off the governance and decision-making capabilities in this way is incredibly foreign to centralized companies. Similar to blockchains though, DeFi protocols become more trustable when they become more decentralized. If a single engineer or team of engineers holds all the keys for a protocol, 
Other money protocols will not be incentivized to build on top of it. Over time, the more credibly neutral a money protocol becomes, the more likely it is to sink to the bottom of the protocol stack and exist as foundational infrastructure. This concept is known as the protocol sink thesis. Total value locked in DeFi smart contracts is now almost $100 billion and growing rapidly by the day. Of course, it's unclear how long this phase of parabolic growth will last. At some point, I anticipate we will begin to see the same euphoria and subsequent reality check as both the 2018 crypto market crash and the dot-com bubble before it. New technology is no stranger to over-exuberance. If you're looking to get rich quick, you're probably just going to get poor quicker. Investing in new technology should be viewed in the same long-term time frame and context as the impact of that technology. This growth phase is still important for crypto and DeFi regardless. This new influx of capital will fund teams of engineers for the next few years to continue building over the next market cycle. Let's just say that a lot of teams are hiring right now. The final component of DeFi that I'll hit on today is a concept called staking. You can think of staking as a sort of internet bond. Similar to a traditional US treasury bond, investors choose to lock up their assets for some amount of time and earn interest in the process. For government bonds, these funds are used to bolster and strengthen the US economy. In the case of Ethereum, staking is used to strengthen the security of the network. Ethereum is currently undergoing a multi-phase process of converting its underlying consensus mechanism from proof of work into a much greener alternative called proof of stake. With the transition, the electrical consumption of the network, of DeFi, of NFTs, and all of the tokens, projects, DAOs, and protocols on Ethereum will drop by 99.95%. This new design allows the network to be secured by bare bones computers, Raspberry Pis, and Ether locked in smart contracts. No more burning electricity for the sake of securing the network. Staking has already begun and archaic mining on Ethereum will soon be a thing of the past. How was it that engineers were capable of creating an entirely new financial system in just a few short years? The short answer is money Legos. All of DeFi exists in open source code on an open source platform with a transparent state and execution environment. This allows each new money protocol to act as a new composable money Lego for other engineers to leverage and build off of. Each combination of different Lego sets create new reusable building blocks for the next protocol. This composability means the difference between linear and exponential innovation. Traditional finance is a nested series of black boxes. Every new project must essentially start from scratch, recreate the wheel, and raise millions in venture capital to do it. In DeFi and in Ethereum, radical transparency and composability means one person invents flash loans and every other protocol now has access to flash loans. Despite the ferocious speed of DeFi though, these are still incredibly early days. It will take years for all the necessary infrastructure to be built out and scale to handle the total addressable market of DeFi. Include NFTs and DAOs, and we are only just scratching the surface of the radical change that blockchains will soon enable. Regardless, the world is waking up to the power and value of relocating trust from people into programs. Unlike the conditions that allowed for the 2008 financial crisis, we are moving to a system that is built on a foundation of transparency. This transparency allows for the creation of decentralized organizations that are more fair and equitable for society. This transparency makes DeFi more efficient. Transactions are near instant and accounting is fully automated in real time. 
There is no concept of quarterly reviews. New financial statements are released every 12 seconds with each new block on the Ethereum blockchain. Most importantly, this new system is globally accessible. Without asking for permission, all 4.6 billion people with access to the internet today now have access to a robust financial system, regardless of their geography and nationality. There are tons of resources online that will help you down this rabbit hole. Ethereum.org is a great place to start. DeFi is better with diversity. Shefi, She256, and Metagamma Delta are three communities focused on cultivating diversity and inclusion in DeFi and blockchain. If you're a software developer, the language that powers the Ethereum smart contracts is called Solidity. Check out CryptoZombies for a great tutorial. From there, tools like Truffle Suite and Scaffold ETH give you everything you need to get started building your own decentralized applications. A great way to get hacking is to join a hackathon organized by ETH Global. Last year, I had the amazing experience of building what's known as a liquid staking protocol with engineers from four different countries around the world. Crypto is a truly global movement. Whether it's Ethereum and the money protocols that exist today, or an entirely new set of trust machines and money Legos that haven't yet been created, I believe that we are witnessing the world's financial assets being uploaded onto the internet to a new foundation of trust and transparency. I believe that DeFi is a financial revolution for the internet age, a new chapter for money and the internet, the internet of money. If you like this episode, you can learn more every week by tuning into the new blocks on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Kevin underscore Weaver and my co-host at TV for the latest episode releases. Thanks.